I just just let the emotions speak and I just really just enjoy the moment. I didn't know nothing was planned or you know how you're gonna grab the finisher tape or anything. Not none of that was planned. I just when I grabbed it, I grabbed it and I just let my body and my mind do whatever they want it to do and it was it was pretty surreal because the guy I could hear the guy calling my name mm -hmm. and uh, and then you get you cross the finish line and she was at the finish. They let let her go into the finish shoot. And then you have all the local medias taking photos and asking for questions. I was like, well, what is this? <laughs> What's going on here? And then the, the speaker is like, go do a victory lap and clap people's hands. I just, it was so awkward because I didn't know what you to didn't, do. You've never done like, that before. This yeah. is not for me. This is for the pros, <laughs> you know? So, but it was, yeah, it definitely was an amazing experience. Amazing experience. It just makes you want to go back and, you know, win again. Hey everyone, welcome back to episode 60 of the YTP. My name is Jess, and what is Yogi Triathlete? Well, Yogi Triathlete is a holistic performance coaching company on a mission to create a better world. And we do this by bringing out the best in our athletes, teaching mindfulness in our yoga classes, promoting a healthy lifestyle through plant-based nutrition, and sharing stories via this very podcast. The YTP is about connecting you every week with people who are looking, finding, and living their purpose. Each week, we, my co-host and love of my life, BJ, we show up with the intention that by creating more connection in the world through sharing personal stories, we can ignite a movement, flame a spark, and empower others to see that in every moment, we have a choice, and that the choices we make craft our lives. If this is your first time listening in, welcome to the tribe. Listeners and followers of Yogi Triathlete are not a crew to mess with. This community is made up of powerful, inspiring people looking to leave a positive impact in the world, and we are psyched that you've joined us, and we hope you come along for the ride. We got a lot of positive and helpful feedback, you guys, last week from our Ask the YTs episode, so thank you for tuning in and reaching out. Ask the YTs is emerging as one of our most popular episodes every month. And I believe that is truly because it's a co-creation and product of community. Keep sending in your questions and we'll continue to dive in. Every time I hit publish on these episodes, I always think, oh, I hope it's enough. And that's because we just want to serve this community. I want to serve this community as best I can. So please keep the feedback coming and keep your curiosity meters alive. Send us questions anytime via our social outlets or yogitriathlete.com. If you want to remain anonymous, we're totally cool with that. Just be sure to let us know. Otherwise, we will use first names only. All right, now on to today's show because we have a totally awesome, badass guest for you, Kevin Portman is a lifelong athlete. Growing up in a small town outside of Evian, France, within minutes of two ski resorts, Kev's parents had him on skis at the age of three. He played competitive table tennis from the ages of 11 to 18. And after high school, Kevin spent three and a half years in Lyon, France for school before transferring to Northeastern University in Boston. From there, he found his way to New York in 2010, where he eventually met his love and new wife, Marissa. We begin our conversation today with their beginnings as a couple because her role in his success as an athlete is vital, and she knows this. Her support, 
her ability to know when to push him out the door and sometimes lock that door behind him and when to welcome him home without judgment when the demands of this first year pro gets the better of him is so paramount in his ability to keep pushing further. As a massage therapist for many years, I worked with many triathlon couples, and I can say that I have seen firsthand the wear and tear that this sport can have on the family unit. And we're so grateful to have Marissa with us today to chime in on her role as supporter as we travel through the evolution of Kevin's triathlon career. There's great insight to be gained in this episode on failure, on taking the big win, on the consequences of being stubborn, and the gifts behind releasing oneself from the pressure to attain. But what I love so much about Kevin's story is that he dispels a romantic view that life as a pro triathlete is glamorous and easy, and he shows us that the struggle is relative to our individual circumstances. There's nothing that Kev shares that we all can't learn from or have already experienced in our own lives as triathletes or otherwise. We're so honored to have such a talented athlete for you guys today. Kevin Portman is Evian Triathlete, and we hope you enjoy the show. Here we are. Yeah? Yeah, in the studio, in the beach (laughs) studio, and we uh, have a... A very big bowl of sacred cacao, cacao beans. beans, and we're all drinking hot cacaos. <laughs> so I don't know where this conversation is going to go. Yeah, let's see where it takes us in about twenty pace, minutes. <laughs> yeah, I told Marissa, pace yourself if you're if you're dabbling in both. Yeah. So you guys just got married, so congratulations. Thank you. Tell us, uh, tell us where that where it was. No, I want to know how. Met? Met? Yeah, I want to yeah, know I how they met. Yeah, want to see where you guys met. We met on match. Um, oh, you did yes, in oh, 2013, love it. and uh, it worked. It, she actually was my first uh, date on Match. I don't know if I was one and first done, dude. Match, <laughs> yeah. yeah. How about for you? Were you yeah. Was it? It wasn't my first date. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna leave it at dun, that. Dun, dun. <laughs> but it was my last. Oh, oh that's, that's the best. <laughs> so 2013, what was the first date like? Um, so we actually plan on going to a tapas restaurant in uh, on the Lower East Side in Manhattan. And uh, I was waiting for her for a good 20, 25 minutes. And then I realized that she walked in the wrong restaurant. The restaurant next door <laughs> must have been a sign that uh, she didn't like the restaurant that I picked. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was the I first I didn't uh, do it on purpose, but it was the more expensive restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I know with BJ, my husband, right over here, and I was just saying that today marks 20 years for us being together. That, And I wish I could tell you like a really cute romantic story about it, but the, the fact of the matter was we were secretly in love with each other for at least a year. Like I was completely in love with him and, and we were both living with other people and it wasn't, they weren't happy situations. So 20 years ago today marks the night that I was supposed to have a, let's see if we can work it out dinner with my boyfriend, who was also named BJ. (laughs) So I had no no trouble with the overlap. There was no trouble with the transition. (laughs) And uh, we went to this party. Yeah, we went to a mudslide party. So we're working in the hospitality industry and the the liqueur they use for mudslides was sponsoring this party. Yeah, and so I think it was about 11 mudslides that I consumed that, <laughs> that we could count. And we've been Weeks together ever since. 
Nice. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's our story. So, um, yeah. Tell us about the date. Were you like, were you into it? Like, did you know? Did you not know? Were you, was it just like, oh, another I date? I think I kind of knew. His profile on Match didn't necessarily match up to what I was expecting to see in a good way. He yeah, was much okay. more handsome than I thought oh, he was going to be. And those eyes. He's got the beautiful eyes. <laughs> and I was actually only on Match just to go on fun dates and not find anything Free serious. dinners. Free dinners, <laughs> exactly. Was. Um, I was on my way out of New York City, <laughs> heading to Seattle, where I'm originally from, and I thought the last few months I'll just go on as many dates as I, I want and just check off all of the things I wanted to do in New York City on someone else's bill. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and then I met him and he screwed up my plan, so. <laughs> well, we always laugh at the plan. Yeah. Like we have, we have like, no control. Yeah, it just totally we we've had over. plans before mm-hmm. too, yeah. and it's just when when your path like intersects with your plan, it doesn't always line up, right? It's, it's sometimes exactly it does. Happens. Sometimes you're like, wow, this is exactly how I envisioned it, and sometimes you're like, what? This is not. I was supposed to move here, and I was just gonna like go on a whole bunch of dates and get free food, and <laughs> now I'm in love. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. What about your side, Kevin? Yeah, so. yeah. I wasn't I wasn't really looking for anything like serious that was at the time i was getting a lot more serious into triathlons and, and triathlon became more and more important to me and i was like well let's let's try this match thing because i'm not a bar guy i don't really go out um that much um but i was like well let's try this this match thing and i met marissa and i was like oh she's cool she's spontaneous she's cute um she's very active she did triathlon before so the connection was there already and yeah we um we had a few more dates and it got serious uh, fairly quickly, a lot quicker than I thought it would. You know, she understood that triathlon was also very important to me and she never tried to like put herself in between me and triathlon, but she was very supportive from the get-go. So yeah, I think naturally it just like, uh, you know, we grew together in this in this relationship with triathlon in between. So yeah. The, the fact that you support the sport that she knew about it before, that you had experienced it before is huge. Because I can tell you, and I had mentioned when before we turned the mics on that I've worked with a lot of athletes, like for 10 years, working with athletes on the table, on the massage table. And then of course, through that would come the spouse, either the wife or the, or the husband, depending on who the athlete was. And then sometimes we had couples like the, you know, like us that have all done the sport, but I've seen divorces over Ironmans and training and then, or just like massive conflict where I would have like, they would have back-to-back appointments and I would have like the husband on the table just going crazy about the wife and then the wife being like, how do I get him to support my training? I guess this question goes to you, Marissa. Um, I will totally admit, and I'm still like doing this stuff. Like there's times where I'm like, we're right now, like I'm training for an Olympic and BJ's training for three Ironmans and I'm like, it would be so nice to just kind of like watch a movie instead of, you know, having to go to bed early or whatever. And so do those moments show up? All and, the time. Yeah. And so what's the, what's the process? I, I think for us, especially when he's training for Ironman, there are times when we don't have a free weekend together because he's on the bike for five to six hours. So that does get a little bit kind of like, oh, I, I just want to go out and go to a bar or have fun or do something other than triathlon. But we've managed to kind of make it a fun aspect. So sometimes like I'll go or we'll go to different locations and he'll still bring his bike 
and we'll still be able to like explore like for instance in Palm Springs he'll probably still bring bike when we go out there but it'll also be a fun aspect where we're able to also explore and do some hiking so he also finds races and good locations for us to make a vacation out of it so we kind of just find a good balance between what we want to do outside of triathlon and still maintaining what he wants to do with the sport so yeah and from the triathlete perspective Kev like you're a first year pro I mean, this is like you've turned your passion into your profession, which I love. You're so perfect I'll for this for show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but are there times like when you're out on the bike and like you're thinking about Marissa at home and but you've got you've got the bigger goal. Like how do you how do you find the balance? Um, yeah, so this year I turned uh, I turned pro and it was a harder decision for me to make than it was for her to make. She actually was very supportive. Her first reaction when I clinched my pro card last year was, well, you're not getting any younger, so you may as well take it. But for me, just from the financial aspect of things, just uh, putting a a well-paying job at a company that I really enjoyed working for, uh, putting that behind and focusing on the swim, bike, run, and it's, you know, it's very selfish, you know, selfish move, but she was extremely supportive, so that made the decision a little easier. I mean, I love getting on the bike. I love swimming. I love running. And spending the hours is, is not an issue. Uh, but yeah, at times, you know, you, you wake up early, you get on the bike, you don't come back, you go for a four-hour ride, but it usually takes five, five and a mm-hmm. half hours. Come back and, and you're tired, and so you want to take a nap, and she's waiting at, at home, and, you know, you want to entertain, but you can't really entertain. So it, it's not the best for sure, but she's very understanding of the situation, so um, that definitely makes it easier. If she wasn't as supportive, it wouldn't be possible. It just wouldn't be possible because it's the glamour of you know swimming, biking, and running. People are thinking, well, you're in SoCal. It's always nice and sunny. It's you know you're living the dream. Uh, what you don't see is sacrifices, the food, and nutrition. The you know you go to bed early, you wake up early, um, constantly, constantly tired. Uh, so yeah, that aspect people don't necessarily see it. You know, the tip of the iceberg is always it's nice and sunny and SoCal and it's beautiful, but <laughs> underneath the surface there is a lot more that goes. She's definitely her support is definitely what makes it possible. And so how did you so back up just a little bit to when you guys were on the East Coast? How did you both come out to the West Coast? What was the the driving factor to get out here? We, so she was supposed to move to Seattle and when we started dating, she changed her plans and she stayed in New York for another uh, year and a half or so. And we were both um, thinking of leaving New York because New York is fun, but if you're not born and raised there, it's, you know, it's overwhelming. It's kind of hard to, to stay there, at least in my opinion. We had a few trips, so we had one in Whistler in 2015. Mm. It was just the, the Pacific Northwest was amazing and we had a great experience. And then we went to Kona. And we came back, I was like, well, that's it. We don't want to come back to the uh, New York City way of life. We just, we want to do something different. Decided to move to the West Coast. Originally, we were supposed to move to Seattle, but I was able to keep my job uh, if, if we moved uh, down to SoCal because uh, my company had clients here in, in uh, Southern California. So it was a lot easier for me to move. But yeah, I think we were just, we grew tired of uh, living the New York City life. I think it's not for everybody. It's an amazing city, but it's overwhelming yeah we spent some time in there we spent a whole week actually right in downtown yeah i love it but as as an athlete 
I mean, were you just on the trainer? Like, how do you even ride in the city? For people who are thinking of moving to the city, like, that might be happening right now. Somebody might be going from somewhere where they have open road and they're going to the city. Like, how did you manage it? Yeah, so you do have a very uh, popular route, which is called 9W. You get on the GW Bridge and on the west side of the GW Bridge. People usually ride on that road called 9W towards uh, Bear Mountain. But during the week, it's, you know, it, you have to be on the trainer uh, if you need to train. It's also hard to find a pool where you can swim mm-hmm. early in the morning with masters. You do have a few, but they're uber expensive. Um, we we, really we scooped some out. And Needless it was like, to say, we did not swim when we were in New York <laughs> City. Because at 30 bucks a pop for a drop-in, I was like, yeah. it'd be 60 bucks for a swim. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, it wasn't happening. <laughs> no, the whole week we didn't swim at all. When you're homeless? Yeah. No, you don't spend 60 <laughs> bucks to go swim. <laughs> yeah. We lived in Jersey City, so, you know, all the running was made easier to run in uh, Liberty State Park. Uh, the, the biking after 2014 and my friend getting into a car accident that left him paraplegic. Um, mm. 95% of my rides ended up being on the trainer, which is not the best. Took a little bit of getting used to, but... I guess that's how it is, and you know they're still amazing triathletes on on the East Coast. So that method definitely works uh, if you're really into it. But I think it takes a lot more effort and dedication to spend four or five hours on a trainer than it, do- it does to spend four or five hours on a bike in SoCal for sure. And those people back east, they're, they're not that not everybody is hardcore, but they're pretty hardcore about what they're committed to, like their mindset. I know when we, we moved away and then we came back, we realized we, or at least I'll speak personally, I got a little soft in Boulder, you know, like, oh, I got all this nice weather. And then we went back to New England and there were people out there training in the snow and in the rain yeah. and they're in shorts in the snow. And I'm like bundled up with six layers. They're just, re- and they're really hardcore mentally, I feel. Yeah. Like I was telling you about edge. that client of mine that we get up at three in the morning and go do his long ride in the dead of winter. I think it's all relative, and I want to go back to um, two things that you mentioned, Kev. One, there is this idea of, oh, you're a pro triathlete, so isn't that nice? You get to sleep in and, you know, maybe go to Masters, but you can come back and take a nap and eat your oatmeal, and then you go for a ride, and you just train all day, and all of us, we all have to, like, work and and everything. And I, and I, and I loved how you were talking about the struggles because if I just closed my eyes, like, those are my same struggles, yeah. And that the grass always looks greener. You know, BJ was talking to a friend of ours back east and he said, gosh, it just looks like you guys are like out there, like you're doing exactly what you said you were going to do when you left and you're living your dream. And yes, 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 yes. That is exactly what we're doing. But people may have thought that getting rid of everything we own and living out of a car and not knowing where we were going to go in the first six months was challenging. But I'll tell you, the challenges have been huge since we got here because everything just kind of prepares you for whatever that next level is. And I'm sure you see that in your sport. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that the struggle is always, it's always relative. And the, one of the first things that I noticed when we set off on our trip is that you can strip yourself down of, you know, all your material things, but you, you get to go with you. Like, so whatever it is that you struggle with, it's just going to attach on to whatever your life situation is, whether you're a pro triathlete or somebody who works full time and does Ironman or you have a non-supportive wife or, or husband or whatever it is, is that the struggle is all relative. And so I love, I loved how you like that just came out. 
And then the other thing, could you tell us a little bit about your friend and what happened and how that affected you? Like, cause you said you went to the train and I heard you talking to BJ about it before when you guys first got here, but it was just a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. He recognized himself. His name is Glenn. So I just, I just did our um, Eagle Man and he texted me the night before that actually happened. I uh, he said, hey, going on that rocket ride, do you want to join? And I was just too tired physically. I was just too tired, and I didn't feel like waking up at 5 a.m. to go on a ride, so I was like, nah, I'm going to pass. And then at 5.30 <clears throat> or 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, three years ago, I got a text from a friend saying, hey, are you with Glenn? And I was like, no. And, and a few texts later, is like, well, there is a, a puddle of blood, and there is a bike in the middle of the road, but no Glenn. So it turned out he got hit by a car who did an illegal U-turn and <clears throat> he, uh, he T-boned the car that uh, left him paralyzed or oh paraplegic. Where was this? I think a, a town called Edgewater, um, right before the GW Bridge. Oh, okay. So, yeah. uh, and, and, and uh, you know, where it was, the way I understood it was, uh, you know, it's a nice downhill and when you get on the aero bars, you, you hit 30, 35 miles an hour, especially this guy, he was a powerhouse pretty easily without really uh, forcing and uh, the car making the, the illegal U-turn there is just not much that you can do. I was actually gearing up for my first Ironman and I went to see him to the hospital three weeks later because we couldn't go. Uh, I was only close family uh, that could go see him at the hospital and I went to see him at the hospital and you know it was it went from this uber athlete just finishing up Ironman Texas and gearing up for Ironman Canada, who just was unrecognizable. You know, legs, um, you know, skinny legs already. Um, the mouth was wired shut, could barely talk. Um, so I stayed with him for 30 minutes at the hospital, where I learned that they didn't know if he was going to be able to walk or not. And I left the hospital, and I sat in the car, and I think I cried for 30 minutes because mm. what I saw just, like, shocked me. From that day, I decided no more... No more riding uh, on that section of, you know, in between Jersey City and the GW Bridge. And if I wanted to ride outside, then she would drive me to the GW Bridge Park. And I would start from there where it's a little safer. But it completely switched my mentality to, yeah, let's go ride outside at 4 o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday morning to, well, if I want to get on the bike, it'll be on a trainer. Because I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, in his shoes and in this situation. So, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a tough Tough few months, for sure, but he's doing great now. He's kicking ass. And you were supposed to be on that ride. I was supposed to be on that ride, yeah. So, you know, you can only, you know, think of what could have happened. It's, it's kind of hard to tell, but the first, my first reaction was like, well, I wasn't there to help him out because I was supposed to be with him. The, the first few days when that happened, it was, it was a little tough, but I think it was tough for everybody that first knew him and that actually rode with him because we were a group of four or five sometimes um, maybe six friends that would go on those rocket rides. Just seeing him like that was tough. Is there a part of you that angry that that's taking you off the roads? Or do you, do you think that you'll get, like, do you think you're going to be able to shake? Because there's got to be a fear. There's a fear. It's keeping you off the roads. Like, what do you think it would take for you to shake that? Or do you even want to shake it? 
Yeah, so when when we moved here, it was a lot easier to get back on the road just mm -hmm. because of all the bike lanes that you have. Mm -hmm. and, and I think um, drivers around here are more used to having cyclists around. They are. There's um, people all over the road, here, meaning yeah. there's people all over the road here, like running. A lot of acti activity. So much activity yeah. that I think it's so common. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, when you start riding inland, there's a lot less traffic. And if you, if you leave at 7 o'clock in the morning, you're good for the next three to four hours uh, with very little traffic. So it wasn't hard to shake it off when I moved here. But had we stayed in, in New York City, I would still be uh, on the train. Or I would still avoid riding in, in or around the Jersey City area just because, you know, drivers are really angry. And I remember... Yeah. Um, four days before doing uh, Miami 70.3 in, in, in 2013, I got actually hit, clipped by a car with the their uh, mirror touching my elbow. And it wasn't that I was riding super wide. I was on my road bike, easy ride. But that's how close they were um, for me. Uh, and, you know, I, I fell off uh, my bike and uh, no car stopped. There were cars behind, just like swerved around and no one stopped. And it just tells you the mentality out there. Just, I know. You know. And I have to tell uh, you that I totally can see that happening. And there, there are, I mean, we talked about it. Like there's no, there's no shoulders back there and the road conditions are horrible. I, I remember like riding back east. So we lived back there for five and a half years and being like coming back from a ride safely and being like, I just defied death. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and you and so yeah, I agree with you that it's it's a lot um it's a lot nicer out here to ride and you've been doing some I good started rides. to explore, yeah, going um east a little bit. Yeah. It's been awesome like yeah. but getting through like some of this section Escondido and St. Marcos and then getting out to like Palomar like when you get out there and now you're starting to get into like these. Yeah. At least what I've discovered yeah, so far. Yeah, it's so amazing here. But we went down to Fiesta Island. I had went with somebody from here, and as soon as we got past uh, Torrey Pines, I think it was, it started to get a little, a little sketchy just to get over there. But once you got on that that circuit, it was pretty uh -huh. awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah, especially if you go early in the morning, it's, yeah. it's close to traffic. So yeah. you, that's where we, that's where I go and do some of my FTP tests, just because there is no car and you you know that you're fairly safe. Yeah, yeah, that uh, seems like a good place to go. Yeah. All right, so I have one more question about your friend. Do you pull, do you pull, like, do you pull, like, in those, because I know you have tough moments when you're out there racing, and do you pull power from him to, like, keep going? Do you ever think about him? Yeah, yeah, especially when, um, when, you know, mentally you get stuff out of Ironman. I try to think about this guy, and like, well, you know, physically I can move, physically I'm not hurt, it's just mentally I think I, you know, I struggle, but... This guy is just like in his wheelchair, not able to do it, and he would be dying to do it. So that we we'll always try to keep things into perspective. And you know, yeah. am I really hurting? Yeah, physically, I'm probably hurting, but not as bad as what this guy is going yeah. through. Yeah, and you know, he's cheering for you too. Yeah, he's very supportive, incredibly supportive. So that's amazing. Um, you know, if you if you DNF for any other reason, but like physical reason, then try to put things into perspective and think about these guys who just can't do what you're doing for legit reasons. Like they can't walk anymore. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely um, I draw a lot of energy from that. Another friend of, of mine and the Tri-Sports team, two weeks before Ironman Arizona in 2015, suffered from a stroke on his like easy run. And uh, you know, now he is 
he hasn't fully recovered. Is I think he still is. He can't move his left arm and uh, he can't talk like normally. So, you know, when you think about that, it really tries to. It really puts everything into perspective. Mm-hmm. Life so. is precious. Yes. And yes. so we said, like I said, you weren't supposed to be on. I mean, you were supposed to be on that ride, but you weren't supposed to be on that ride, and he was supposed to be on that ride, and. You know, all we can do is just move forward in, in our own path and support and love everybody around us know, and, and know that things can change in a second. Yeah. So with that, so your triathlon career, I want to lead up to Coeur d'Alene. <laughs> How was your, um, so what was your triathlon career like up until uh, last, last, um, last season? Like, where did you start? How did it progress? Yeah. So 2011, a really good friend of mine. Uh, that I consider my my brother here in the U.S. Just, you know, told me, hey, I'm doing a, this triathlon thing in s- somewhere up in upstate New York. Do you want to join? Actually, in the Ironman State Park. I was like, yeah, sure. I had a bike, so I was like, yeah, why not? And it was fun. I, I crashed on the bike <laughs> at the very at the very turn where the race um, organizer was like, don't be that guy. Just slow down. <laughs> Slow down because it's a very tight turn, the airpin turn. Just don't be that guy. And of course, I was the You're one that who guy. <laughs> but it was fun. I was hooked. I did three other sprints, but I didn't really take it seriously. In, in 2012, uh, raised funds for a team in training, and I did the New York City Triathlon. And uh, without you know a lot of training under my belt, I did pretty well. So it's like, ah, oh, maybe if I if I give it a shot, I could you know maybe do it a little better and be it a little better. So I started using a coach. Wait, um, what does pretty well mean in the New York City Triathlon? Like, how did you do it? What did you finish? Do you remember? I think it was 2.15 or 2.14 at the New York City Triathlon. Just Olympic Olympic distance? Uh, Olympic distance, yeah. 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 But you're swimming down the river. So, you know, that (laughs) 13-minute swim is not representative of of your skills at all. (laughs) Uh, but it was still pretty, it was still pretty decent. So I started, you know, working with a ca- uh, with a um, coach, and I I did fairly okay in my first year doing seventy point threes. Qualified for uh, Montremblant seventy point three worlds in twenty fourteen, and decided to work with a different coach, tri coach down in Delaware, and because um, I wanted a little more structured, not just for the the cycling, because my previous coach was uh, really good with all the cycling part. But I wanted more structure with my swimming and my running as well. Uh, and so Kev from TriCoach, being a former pro as well, understood that. So started working with him since 2014. And uh, he took me to my first Ironman and took me to two Ironman Kona uh, races. And uh, last year at Coeur d'Alene, uh, he took me to victory in Coeur d'Alene. So. so how many Ironman did you do before Coeur d'Alene? Zurich was my first in 2014, and then uh, I did three Ironman in 2015 and three in 2016. I think Kurt was probably my sixth Ironman in okay. two years. That was a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yes. What, yeah. So what was the plan? So you were working with this coach. What was the plan? What was the plan in doing multiple Ironmans? Was it to get experience and build your endurance? Was it like, or was it just like, what do you want to do? Do you want to just be all in? Three uh, <laughs> was not the plan. <laughs> yeah, three Ironman per year for the last two years was definitely not the plan. I wanted to go to Kona um, after Zurich, where I did pretty well. I felt like I could qualify for Kona, so the goal was Kona, and 
At first we wanted to do it in Whistler because the race just fits me better, mm -hmm. more climbs uh, on the bike. But then my coach convinced me that I could do well at Ironman Texas. So we decided to also sign up for Texas. Um, Which is in May and then Whistler's in July or? July, yeah. yeah okay. And uh, Texas was, you know, the prep was good. I actually went down there a few days to, uh, to train there. I stayed with a local pro. And everything went well except in my uh, training, except that I never really trained, did any heat acclimation mm, training. It's humid down there and too, right? And that, that crushed me mm -hmm. on, on race day because it's brutal. It really, really is hard. So the plan in qualifying for Kona didn't really quite work out there. So then Whistler uh, was plan B and I qualified. So, so then we, we went to Kona. So that was three Ironman uh, that year. And then last year, Last year, the plan was to qualify in Whistler and really just focus on Whistler. And, and hopefully the goal was to do top three amateur there and, and clinch the pro card. And what's required for a pro card, just for those that don't know? So you have to finish. Uh, th there are a few requirements, uh, different requirements, but one of them being if you finish top three amateur with a race that has a pro field. And I think there, is, there has to be a certain prize money amount. Uh, I think it's either 5K or 25K. I can't remember what the amount was then you're eligible for your, your pro card. So it all went well. Um, actually, I think I was, I took the, the amateur lead on the bike, but my special needs never made it to the, the aid station. And the rookie mistake that I made was that I relied way too much on it. Mm -hmm. um, and it just went downhill from there. And when you have a 25 mile uphill to go to finish the bike and the run, uh, the run was just, the run was tough. My my back started to seize and I just couldn't breathe anymore. So I had to, to call it a day halfway through the run. Um, so that was tough. But the, the very same day, Marissa told me, you know, the, there's still Coeur d'Alene four, four weeks down the road where you can still qualify for Just Kona. saying. Supported wife to <laughs> Trying to go to Hawaii again. Right. Yeah, you've got, you've got your yeah. interest too. <laughs> and I had that race in mind, but I didn't know if it was, you know, the right thing to do or not. Um, well, little did I know that, you know, four days later I signed up for the race. I told my coach and my coach was, uh, well okay, we're going to change things up a little bit then. He was thinking more of like Louisville. Yep, down in, uh, in October. Yeah. It was in yep. October, moved to same, October that time. Yeah, same weekend as Kona. Yep. But he changed things up a little bit, and the build uh, to Cordelaine was very, very different. I changed my mindset to let's not focus on, on the outcome of the race and uh, the results, but really just having fun and, and see what I can do. And I think that changed a lot. I also changed my nutrition a lot because uh, I did not want to rely on special needs. And so, so what did that look like? Get, get, sh shed some light into, if you don't mind, into what your nutrition looked like and what you kind of switched Yeah, what was to. in that special needs yeah. bag that made you like just fall apart? What was the special juice? Yeah. <laughs> what, what was it that you just can't live without? Everybody wants to know. Clearly they don't have on the course. Illegal substances that I can't really... Uh... Cacao. It's all cacao. <laughs> Um, it was uh, three bottles of, at the time I used Herbalife, yeah. uh, I can't remember which one it was, their endurance product, and it was three bottles, which I relied on. Um, I just trained with it, I knew exactly my stomach was comfortable with it, no GI issues or anything, and uh, I never trained with Gatorade, so mm. I, I just didn't want to mess around. Um, so when 
you know, that special needs didn't make the the aid station, I just in my mind it just a complete messed me up. Yeah, um, I was gonna so. ask you, like, how did mm. you how did you mentally navigate that? Did you Well I didn't. Yeah, you didn't. <laughs> and that's okay. It's a, yeah. that's, that was the experience you were supposed to have. Nobody expects you to be a, a master. Yeah. But yeah, so well I wanna talk about that. Like what 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 happened? Like you yeah. didn't get the special needs? Were you like, were you that guy? Were you know you, like, when they say out? roll with the pen, when they say uh, <laughs> roll with the punches. Well, I I didn't. You were that throwing guy, punches, just, like, fighting back. Yeah, and uh, I just you know I reluctantly uh, grabbed a, a bottle of Gatorade, just you know one bottle of Gatorade over the last like I think thirty five miles on the bike. And when you look at the course at Whistler, it's requires you know, more 25, than twenty five, twenty seven miles of going uphill. Yeah. I don't even think that I finished that bottle and I was, you know, completely dehydrated. Mm -hmm. I got into the run. I was a little dizzy. And was it because you were just like, I refuse to drink this Gatorade or were you so scared that your stomach would be upset? Because I mean, logic would tell you get, get the electrolytes in. Yeah, I was, I guess I was, you know, stubborn about, well, you know, I'm, I'm used to training with this and I have never really encountered a situation like this before. What should I do? And, you know, when I, sh I should have taken a little more Gatorade and I, I had a few gels still in my uh, food box that I didn't touch. So I wasn't really coherent in my decisions, um, you know, and. And so I think that really that really messed me up. So when I went into Curda Lane, I was like, you know what? What what happens happens on the day. If if I can't get my nutrition in, then there are aid stations and they're there for that. So just grab whatever you can grab, and and you know, it, it is what it is. And I think that mindset, changing the mindset to enjoying the day and and having a good day and pushing myself, uh, really changed the outcome. I think of the race as opposed to being fixated on. I want to go back to Kona mm. or I want to finish like top 10 uh, overall race or I didn't even think about, you know, potentially finishing top 10 overall in the race, not even, you know, winning the race. To me, it was just have a good day and, you know, you, you're fit, you're carrying all that fitness that you got from Kurt, from uh, Whistler and just see where it's going to take you. And, and what so happened? That, it it went really well. I had a tough swim at Cordelaine. Was it really cold? Usually, sometimes it's cold. Like no, it was, it was okay. It was uh, yeah, it was really good conditions. It got really windy on the bike. Really, really windy on the second loop of the bike, and I made some ground on on the top three or four, but I just couldn't bridge the gap with the top three. And you know, I thought to myself, what the hell's going on? Because the bike is what I think my strongest. So. I got into T2 and I dropped off the bike and I was like, let's just have a good run. It's just, you know, that's where you struggle that Whistler, just, just enjoy the run. And a few people told me you're running smoother and faster than the top three. So that gave me a little more confidence. And Credit Lane is like, it's so much fun to run at Credit Lane because mm -hmm. it's through the neighborhood and it's beautiful. And it, it started to get really hot and a little windy. At the end of the first loop, I caught up to the guy in third and I could see first and second in front of me. So that gave me a lot of motivation. And I actually took the lead um, at mile 12, around mile 12, which is where I DNF'd at Whistler. So I was like, all right, I got the lead. I'm not going to let that go. So, so. You're, so you're seeing the guy in front of you. Do you pass the guy or are you just like inching up and you're like, I'm just going to like ease past him or did you like put him I, away? I, and... I passed him because I, I saw that he just... 
he was in one of those moments where, you know, you're in the hard box and struggling a little bit. So I just didn't want him to get comfortable sitting in my uh, in my pace or me just like being a little complacent and just like sitting and, and slowing my pace down. So I was like, I'm just going to maintain my pace. And I think he tried to stay with me for for a mile or so, but he eventually just dropped back a little bit. The good thing is that you do have some turn some uh, a turnaround points and you could see and I was already I think a minute or a minute and a half ahead at the turnaround. You know, some people ask me when did you start thinking that you actually had the race in the bag and I I never really thought that I actually, you know, I was going to win the race up until I could actually hear the finish line. Um because I just didn't want to let my guard down and and think that oh you know I I just won so let's just have a victory lap no I just I wanted to maintain pressure and mm-hmm. I actually built a gap that was uh, I think up to ten minutes um, so I could have if I wanted to but in my mind it's like you you haven't won the race until you actually cross the finish you Absolutely. haven't finished at least you haven't finished the race until you cross the finish and I didn't want to be one of those guys <laughs> you know you didn't want to be that guy again yeah. <laughs> they don't want to be that you've guy been that again. guy a few times already. <laughs> So it looks yeah. like, yeah, you did, you, you beat the next guy by, by 10 minutes in your final time. So what, one of the things I loved about Ironman Coeur was the finish down Sherman Avenue through the town Yeah, and it's like downhill Yeah, and it's just so deep with yeah. people. Do you, re, do you remember that final yeah. finish? Cause at that point, you know, you're winning, man. Like, can, can you put that into words? Yeah. The, the lead biker just, you know, as, as we made that left turn down at Sherman Avenue, mm-hmm. You know, he's like, the race is yours, you know, enjoy this, the last few hundred yards. And, you know, it didn't really sink in. Uh, you could see the crowd and uh, you usually see that for the pro athletes. Uh, so the race being up for grab um, for age groupers, I was like, I didn't really realize. And I was like, what the hell is going on? I just, just let the emotions speak and I just really just enjoy the moment. I didn't know nothing was planned or, you know, how are you going to grab the finish your tape or anything not none of that was planned i just when i grabbed it i grabbed it and i just let my body and my mind do whatever they want it to do and it was it was pretty surreal because the guy i could hear the guy calling my name mm-hmm. and uh and then you get you cross the finish line and she was at the finish they let let her go into the finish shoot and then you have all the local medias taking photos and asking for questions I was like well, what is this <laughs> what's going on here and then the, the speaker was like, go do a victory lap and clap people's hands. I just, it was so awkward because I didn't know what you to do. You've never done like, that before. This yeah. is not for me. This is for the <laughs> pros, you know. So, But it was, yeah, it definitely was an amazing experience. Amazing experience. It just makes you want to go back and, you know, win again. And Marissa, so what did it look like from your end? Like, you, you, you can see him come through town. You see him come through town. Then there's that little out and back, I think. Do they still do that? They can come in through the park and then you go out and then you come back through. No. So, so it just comes in and then it goes right back yeah, out so to the street. They, they, they changed the, the course to a three, three lap run. Oh, okay. So yeah. Oh. So when does you, it still go up that hill at the end? Nope. No. Oh, no, interesting. They now they're stopping. Yeah. So what was it like for you to see him out there? Like, could you see his hurt hurting? Could you see that he was taking he looked, it off? Or? Uh, so I had because I I am used to being a Sherpa for him. I I had exactly where I wanted to be on the run and where I thought he would be hurting the most is where I wanted to stand and, and support him. So I had certain areas on the run course where I wanted to be there for him. And each time I saw him, he just his forearm looked good, his stride looked good, and especially his face. I can tell when his he's struggling, his face is like 
very contorted, <laughs> but he looked very strong and focused this time. So I knew that he was going to put a good run out for us. So it was. Does he acknowledge you out there? Does he? Uh... Sometimes, most of the time, no. And I'm used to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know <laughs> yeah. that he's, he's, in the zone. he's in the zone. Yeah. Yeah, I'll tell him splits, and I know he hears me, even if he doesn't acknowledge me. But I had my dad out there and my youngest sister out there to oh, cool. support him, which was nice. I know the goal wasn't to to win, and and it's actually making me think about our podcast with Mary Knott when she qualified for Kona because she did. She had had like a this girl that she's amazing. She just did Ultraman Australia. She's she's doing the extreme triathlon in Alaska. I mean, she's oh, just amazing. Cool. And she talks about Ironman Arizona, which is where she finally qualified for Kona. After and, 20 Ironmans. Yeah, after right? 20 Ironmans wow. and after having a horrible disaster at Ironman Lake Tahoe. And it was like, it was just to go out there and just to see how fast I could go. Like, and you did the same exact thing. You took the pressure off. And mm-hmm. Marissa, you did the same exact thing on Match.com. Like, you weren't looking for a husband, yeah. right? Uh-huh. And it's like, when we can... Obviously, your your vision as somebody who loves the sport and who has turned professional, like you want to win. Of course, you want to win. But when you remove that pressure and and then dial in the focus a little more acutely and say, you know what, this is what I need right now. Right now, I just need to go out and do the sport I love and see how much fun I can have. And I think that it doesn't mean that you push your goal aside. It means that your vision is still there. But the pressure, you take the pressure off. And that's so important. And when you take the pressure off, it comes. And it comes in, in the perfect time. Like in the perfect time. And, and had, you, had you not had that experience in, in Whistler, you may not have won in Coeur d'Alene. Like it may, do you feel like it made you hung, hungry in a way? Like more hungry? Definitely. Especially, you know, it just makes you realize that, yeah, you, you, you may be a good, you know, endurance athlete, but you're not, you're still subject to like, you know, having a GI issues or just, you know, not having your special needs at an aid station. You're still subject to having like a bad race. It happens. You know, you qualify for Kona once. That doesn't mean, you know, that just doesn't mean anything. Uh, it's just reset. You have to reset completely and go to another Ironman. And I think at Whistler, I was a little too focused on having a good result. And, and I think I just feel like I, I felt like I needed to prove something to other people uh, other than me uh, on that race. And uh, it probably put too much pressure uh, on me. Uh, when I went to Curler Lane, it wasn't the perfect race. It wasn't what I envisioned. But from like a performance standpoint, although it was still my PR, but it wasn't what I had in mind. But from an execution perspective and from the experience itself, it definitely was the best execution if you take Kona after that out of the equation. Yeah, I mean, it's just classic that you, I mean, it's all about the run and halfway through the run, you've got the leader in your sights. Yeah. You know, it's... That's so it doesn't, it doesn't, we've seen it too many times. It doesn't necessarily matter where you are getting off the bike, yeah. you know, to a degree. Yeah. That it's, it's the run. You got to run strong off the bike. So then you did do Kona that year. Yes. And Kona looked like you had a really good race in yes, Kona, right? I, I did. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> we, we changed. So Kona was going to be Ironman number three in 11 weeks. What we, I, 
when I went in 2015, it was for the experience. I had no intention to, you know, like perform there. It was just really for the experience. So the last year when we went there, I, I wanted to be able to perform. So we decided to work with a nutritionist, the, uh, the core diet. Yes. Uh, yeah, we worked with them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That drastic change on my nutrition. Uh, forget about Herbalife. It was, you know, you go to use what's on course. So what was on course was Gatorade and Cliff. So we started training with uh, Gatorade and Cliff, and we went. I went from one bottle an hour to two bottles an hour. So um, I mean, we comp- we completely changed nutrition, daily nutrition to training nutrition. Everything changed. I decided to trust the process, and these guys have sent numerous uh, athletes to Kona, and and they all had like really good results. So something is working, obviously. Mm-hmm. And on race day, I had a, I had a really good swim for me because it's a non-wetsuit, and I think I swam 58, so that was very good for me. The bike was extremely windy and and much harder than the year before, and I I still went um, close to 20 minutes faster than the year before, and I I never felt. Uh, you know the the lows that you can feel during the bike, and I've before Kona, I never had a, an Ironman where I felt strong the entire bike ride. In Kona last year, I felt like my legs were underneath me the entire mm-hmm. time, and I just felt like I could push more if I wanted to. On the run, the the wheels um, fell off a little bit at mile five. Um, they have this giant bucket of water, uh, <laughs> and and I went to duck my head in, oh. <laughs> and what. What I didn't see was this giant ice block in the middle, and I hit that ice block. And I don't, I don't think it's what made me run slow, but um, he had a big, a bloody scar on his forehead. Like, what happened to your forehead? He was like, "Oh, I, I, I hit it in the ice block." <laughs> of course, but uh, That's yeah, awesome. it, it was. You know, I, I just wish I ran better in Kona, but I think it was the accumulation of the first two Ironman and, and also maybe the lack of belief in my belief in my uh, in my running. I think that's one thing that I need to work on is uh, believing myself a lot more because what I wanted to do on the day, I think, uh, was doable, but I, you know, started to lose uh, faith in, in my run and just uh, the wheels started to fall off. and. And then after that, if the wheels fall fall off and and Kona, you you add the heat, the heat and, and the wind and all that. And, and everybody okay. gets together and they're like, and, yeah. yeah, they gotta slow and then down. You're like, well, you know what? You you're done for the day. So and and then all is like crazy fast athletes. As soon as I start, started to slow down, I had, I think I went, I got out of T two, if uh, top fifteen or top twenty age grouper, top three in my age group at mile two on the run. And as soon as I started to slow down, 30, 40, 50 people passed me. I think I went from uh, top 20 to like top 200 in, in the matter of like 10 miles, not even. Uh, it was just it was just mind blowing to see them, you know, running away from me with such ease is unbelievable. So yeah. another humbling experience, but and, and men, you know, 30, 40, 50, 55 year olds, just unbelievable. Yeah, the best of the best. Best of the best in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Come they just keep, one day. yeah, getting older really doesn't mean yeah. much. Yeah. As you progress through the age groups. Yeah. How, how are you going to, how are you going to believe more in yourself? It's an ongoing, 
work you know like tough workouts i had a really tough bike ride yesterday and i was thinking of just calling it a day two and a half hours in a four hour bike ride but i i stuck with it tough swims like this morning where i just like couldn't keep up so i had to use the paddles but i could have easily just uh walked out and, and go home so like those moments where you know you just you can't be always 100 you just have to accept it It's like those moments, I just have to stick with it and, and go with it and uh, just be more positive overall. And I think what I need to do is detach myself from all the negativity that uh, I can get, you know, or like sense the negativity from, from other people. Not to listen to people, just to listen to myself and people that really believe in me. One of the things that you can do immediately that will have such a big effect. So everything from what you read to what you watch on the television, even if you're in a restaurant and there's conversations going on around you, the television's on, everything, what we don't realize is that everything's leaving an impression on our mind, right? Yeah. So like BJ and I, we are super choosy about where we go, who we spend our time with. And it's not because we think we're better than other people, but I even find it in races. If I'm on a run and I, if I'm in the run portion and I, and I come up on a pack of people, you know, that are running and they're all complaining about how they feel, I got to get the hell out of there because that's going to, that's going to affect me. Mm -hmm. So I love that you've tapped into that. Like you, you cannot, I mean, you can, you certainly can, everything's a choice, but if you buy into that negativity, it just, it's, It's so infectious. It's just so pervasive and it's poison. Yeah. And so when, so now that you're asking my advice, but I'm going to give it anyway. So here's a really good technique that, you know, the greatest yogis will teach this technique. This is the thing to overcome negative thoughts is not, it's not difficult. The simplicity of being masters of our mind is almost like we can't believe how simple it is to become masters and become really, really mentally durable. And it's literally when that negative thought comes up, whatever the exact opposite of that is, you, that's your mantra. Yeah. Whatever that is, what it, don't even question it. Whatever the first word is that comes up, You just keep saying that, you know, and if it's like, oh God, you just, you don't have the run today. You've got the run today. You've, you're a great runner. I'm a great runner. I'm a great runner. I'm a great runner. Like you drive yourself down that road as fast as you can in the opposite direction of that negative thought, reciting in your head the absolute opposite word. And that is so, so powerful. And any great master would tell you that. And the way that I, I hear these masters and yogis talk about it, they talk about it as bad habits. That this, this negative mindset that we have, that we buy into this crap, this negativity, it's a bad habit. And so how do you break a bad habit? You, you, you form number, good habits. Yeah, you form good habits, right? Mm -hmm. You do the opposite. And then everything around that bad habit, so the people speaking that bad habit, you, you remove everything that leads up to the creation of that bad habit. Yeah, it's a, it's a work that I have to do on, on my... Uh on my part but she is extremely supportive yeah mm -hmm. and she believes in me a lot more than I believe in myself yeah well that's um, so that's, yeah. <laughs> that's what we do as partners yeah, yeah. and so, uh, and it's okay if people in your life fall away yeah yeah it's, it's okay uh, learning that yeah because they've got a they're they're on their their path and it's perfect for them 
But as you grow and, and at 30 years old, you're talking about, you know, how to believe in yourself more and everything like you're going to continue. People aren't talking about that, right? They, they're not even, they don't even have that clarity that the reason why they're have so many ups and downs in their life is because they're not believing enough in themselves to, you know, be worthy of what they really dream of. And you already are seeing that clarity. So you're going to continue to rise up. And what's going to happen is, is people are going to fall away. And that's okay. And it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We love them from afar. That's what we do. We love yeah. them from afar. I do like the, just to talk about the training aspect of it, when you, you just captured the, the essence sometimes of, of these athletes that struggle, and it's because they want the perfect workout every time. They want to be able to complete the 4,000-yard swim that's prescribed on their workout. Or if they can't get to it, they're, they're not going to do it. It's an all-or-nothing thing. Yeah. Whereas when you can switch that mindset and say, maybe this training session isn't going to be the way it's supposed to be, but I'm going to take something else out of it. I'm going to put paddles on. I'm going to stick with this group and I'm going to get the whatever, 4,000 yards in and I got it in. It's not glamorous. It isn't the, the best workout I've ever done, but you got it done. And there's a bigger purpose, a bigger benefit yeah. for getting that in. That's how, we, that's, that's how we set our athletes up for success. Like, I don't care sometimes like what that end result is. I don't want to, okay, great. You ran a 6:30 mile. Awesome. But did you get, did you pull something from that workout? Right. Did you capture something that you, you weren't expecting? Like detach from the end result sometimes. Obviously there's FTP tests and things that you need to nail, but there's other things that have so much more meaning than just training. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's the mind aspect. It's the building the confidence. A little bit, a little bit here and there, yeah. a little bit pushing through on that ride. Yeah. It's easy. It's easy. Two and a half hours. I'm just going to go home and hang out with Marissa. Like, I know. Like, and it's so tempting, right? right? Like, cause she's going to, she's going to accept you back. She's going to love you just the same. Right. She will, she will give me crap for, <laughs> yeah, that's your job too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was three hours and 15 minutes into the ride and, uh, it, yeah, it was just it was, yesterday. It was tough. Yeah. And I knew I was going to finish it, but it was like, well, and I texted, it was like, well, that's a tough one. And she was like, well, you, you got this in you, just, you know, finish it. So, yeah. like, I knew that if I cut it short and went home, I would have gone home to some a cranky Marissa uh, <laughs> just because I didn't finish my, my workout, just, just because I didn't feel good that day. And it's just, you know, if you're not physically hurt, there's no reason for you not to finish the, the workout. You, yeah, because you you're choosing this. Through. Yeah, exactly. You're choosing this. And you've you're got true. support 1,000% yeah. behind yeah. this focus. And it, it is true. Like, we need to be there for, like, my triathlon goals pale in comparison to what PJs are, you know. And so I'm more in the role of that you're in where it's like you got to find that balance between being like, it's all right, that it's okay. Like, today you actually needed to to Lock do that and come home. But yeah, I mean, I have locked the door on BJ before. <laughs> I, I have as well. <laughs> you have? Oh, I love it. <laughs> Tell me about that. Um, <laughs> it was in a training build, I think, before Whistler. And he had a lot going on. He still had a full-time job at the time, and he had a lot going on with work. And he didn't have enough time to do a long run. He, he thought he didn't have enough time to do a long run, so he was getting into this mood in a dark place, he was like, I'm just not going to do the training. I'm not, we're not going to Whistler. And he just like goes from zero to 100 really quick. It escalates. And he was in the garage. I locked the door of the garage. I was like, you're not coming in the house. Go for your long run. You have time. <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. And what did you do in that moment? What, like, 
besides like ah. Uh, it took me a few minutes to get onto the long run, but I ended up going for that long run, and I don't think it was as long as it was supposed to be. But um, you know, and I the pace wasn't even like an, an issue at that time. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I ended up doing that run, and I'm glad I did. Glad I did. Yeah. Because uh, you you go from thinking you are oh, you just completely wasted your training day to okay I, I still managed to get something out of it so that was the positive it's, on the day it's but so yeah and it's so it's it's like the more you do it you get you get more skillful at when to call it and when to go and and when they're just being cranky and when they're not and um for you bj i remember that particular workout you were doing like a long brick and you had this bad habit of like coming into the house and like using the bathroom and like you know going into the kitchen i'm like what are you doing you're like in the middle of a like, you're in the middle of a workout and so i put your water bottles outside and i lock the door and i think i put a sign like when you're done you can come in i don't care if you pee in the it front night, yard it was at night it was getting dark yeah and it was getting dark out and i was like and i meanwhile i'm in the kitchen drinking margaritas and making like you know quesadillas yeah and, and that's sometimes you you gotta do things like that because you're a part of this you're a part of his success huge yeah, yeah, and he's a part of your success good cop and bad cop mm-hmm. yeah sure. i know so it's finding it's finding that balance and being able to rely keep me accountable like you rely i rely on you to keep me accountable subconsciously mm-hmm. or consciously and even like, if they don't like it yeah right because sometimes they don't like it oh he hates it <laughs> he hates it yeah but he thanks me for it later yeah mm-hmm. and and understand that that like the like the disliking it, that's all the ego, right? And, and this, this is, it's the negative ego that wants to keep us in conflict. I don't want to give the ego a bad rap because there's also an ego that can, like you needed your ego that day to fit, to win Coeur d'Alene, right? Like there's, there's a, an ego that can be used in a very positive way, but it can also be used. It shows up mostly in the human condition as negative, as like, you know, well, I don't have time, so I'm just not even going to do it. It's like, no, yeah. you, Get you're never going to find time. Mm-hmm. You got to make time. And whatever you can eke out of this day, you eke out of that day. So, you're, so your strength is cycling? Yep, I think so, yeah. I think it's pretty apparent. <laughs> <laughs> Help our audience a little bit. Like, what is something they can work on? Maybe something that's worked for you that has made you a, a stronger cyclist. It doesn't have to be, doesn't have to be a workout or anything. But is there something that people can take home, like riding indoors or, or, or a switch mentally that they can maybe build their strength up on the bike? All my really hard, intense workouts, um, I will do them on the trainer. Some people like it to ride with music on, but I don't do it because in my mind, you don't have music on race day. And granted, you don't push as hard on race day as you do on a trainer. But to me, if, if, if you can push that, let's say, you know, five minute all out on the bike or 20 minute all out on the bike without music on, then chances are, you know, you'll be able to replicate something similar on race day mm-hmm. as opposed to having that, that music to help you go through the workout you won't have that when it gets hard on the bike on race day so i, I try to stay away from from music and from all that uh during the, the the hard sets i don't always do it but sometimes i really force myself to just like 
no movies, no nothing on the trainer. It's just me, my thoughts, and projecting myself and, you know, projecting myself having a great bike ride and being strong, going uphill, vision, you know, really trying to vision the race that I'm doing, mm -hmm. especially if I've done it before, it's easier because I can visualize the course in my head. So that's why I do. Some people, you know, need the music and, and I think that's fine, but I found that to work for me. Yeah, lately I, you've been seeing me like I, I, I don't always use music, but I, but I sort of, when it gets to the harder sets, maybe I'll put on my headphones and, and then... I'll get halfway through the the set and it's just it's messing with me. It's just I, it's just something isn't aligning and I just take the headphones off and I just get to work. Like I'm just looking at the I use trainer roads. So I'm just looking at like what I need to maintain and you just get into it. Yeah. And for the very point of when you're out there on race day, there's no music. You're not riding with people. You're not socializing. Like I'm here to do some. I'm here to do some work. Like, and can I mimic that on the trainer? So I, I can totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, we have to practice being with ourselves and our thoughts in silence. We have to practice that. And in, in, if we have any goals of being able to, to navigate that on race day or at any point in life, like just being, there's, there's so much noise in our world like to be able to remove that noise, put yourself in a challenging position. And I do this in my, with my students in my yoga class. I don't play music. Um, if it was my choice, it'd be no mirrors in yoga studios. And um, I put them in challenging poses and then I don't talk. And so they get to just, how lucky are they? They get this opportunity to be in a, in, to be in a situation where there's sensation on the run of a triathlon, uh, of an Ironman or whatever distance. And they get to like notice what's happening upstairs. And is it helpful? And if it's not helpful, how do we change it? And music is, and music helps so much too. It's, Sometimes I get paid. Like for me, it's just an aggravation at this point. I'll listen to like audiobooks if I'm doing like a, um, a like a math paced run or something like that, but ra rarely, mm. rarely. I'm just, just, just usually, I just prefer just me, just me and myself and my thoughts. <laughs> I definitely can't run with music, like running. I, I love it so much. I just want to be there hearing my breath and the foot, the foot strike. And I want to smile at people. Like I want to be engaging with the people that are out there. What's a typical day like for you both? Um, I usually wake up early in the morning and go to masters. So wake up around five and get in the pool at 5.45 and swim for an hour, 15 hour, 30 minutes. Go home, have a breakfast and get on the bike. Uh, and if I don't get on the bike, if I have a run, then I usually do the run much later in the day because I just want to get a little more rest. But when you have a three or four hour bike ride, if you don't get on the bike before like 11 or 12, then you're in for a long day. You're not home until like 5, 5.30. So I've been trying to take naps uh, during the day um, because I know it's important for recovery. Mm -hmm. and But that's something that I still struggle with. And that might sound weird, but... Yeah, I find it really hard to just fall asleep and take a 20, 30 minute power nap. I want to get to a point where I can do that before I work out. That'll be good. Yeah, um, just keep trying. Even if you just lay there and rest your body, it's helpful. Yeah. But it's like everything. Like if it doesn't come easy, you got to practice it. Like you have to practice napping. Yeah. And then on weekends, it's, you know, the, there's either a Saturday or Sunday. It's an open water swim. And then, so she usually comes with me and we have an extra uh, paddle board, mm -hmm. those inflatable boards. And so she's the lead. She leads me around that lagoon. 
swim for 30, 45 minutes, and then I have the bike in the car, so I just take off on the bike, and then get home, get on the run, and, and usually what we like to do after the, the training, which usually ends around two or three, uh, we go for a late brunch. Here in Carlsbad, we like to go to Swami's or Cafe mm. Lisa. Mm. We like those two spots. Mm-hmm. But yeah, usually it usually starts with a swim in the morning. Uh, that's been one of my focus uh, this year, so swimming a lot more. And then there's always either one or two more workouts during the day. So she works from home, so it doesn't really matter. I, if she doesn't need the car, it doesn't matter to her. So uh, I'm pretty free to, to go wherever I need to go for the training. Nice. And what do you do, Marissa? I work for a technology company as a customer success, customer success manager or program manager, and I've been with the company for eight years now. That's a part. You guys have a great setup right now. Yeah, it's not bad. <laughs> That's awesome. It's not bad. I want to know what's going on this year. Yeah, yeah. So let's. So you, the last race you did, with, did you Saint George, right? Yes. That- Saint George was tough. I had a good first uh, pro race at Oceanside. I beat my expectations on the swim and on the run, and the, the bike was, was good as well. St. George, I had higher expectations. Um, I had a good swim because it's usually a, a tough swim. I find it hard to swim there. Turned out that I didn't know, but I swam in the feet of Lionel Sanders for 18, 19 minutes until he decided to drop us off. <laughs> uh, but that was pretty cool. And then on the bike, my, my plan was to uh, push the pace for the first 20, 30 minutes because it's it's very flat and moving. Uh, and hopefully uh, the goal was to try to catch up you know, as many people as I could and ride in, in a pack because it's there is a huge advantage, but uh, the legs just wouldn't want to fire. So it was, I was in struggle then for the entire 56 miles of the bike and, uh, <laughs> and, and I got on the run and um, I think it was more spent than I thought it was, and still the, the legs, I just couldn't get my run legs underneath me. It's a punishing run, so St. George is 1,200 or 1,300 foot of cl- feet of climbing on the run, so... Um, so what Alistair did was pretty, was pretty remarkable. Yeah. Yes. That field yes. was so stacked. Yes, it was. <laughs> uh, and that's, you know, it's, it's amazing to be here in SoCal because you have Oceanside and St. George. It's like two big races with like uh, really strong co- competition. And it's, it's a privilege to be able to have those two first two races, first two pro races to face those guys. You know exactly where you are and, and how much work you have to do. Oh, yeah. Um, there's, there's no, like, there's no mystery around where you're stacking up yeah. amongst the best yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, you, you raced against Alistair Brownlee. Yeah, you you know you know where you stack up, but yeah, what, what he did in in Saint George was pretty amazing. Uh, I I believe that Sanders lost the race on the swim. Um, otherwise, I think Sanders would have would would have won the race. But um, do you think it was because he was pulling people on the swim? He uh, probably grabbed his feet a couple times. So if you listen to this, I apologize. <laughs> No, and I think he's been working on his swim, and he's been yeah, a lot he faster. But, I mean, when you see what he did on the bike and on the run, um, mm. you know, we, we knew Brownlee was, was, was going to be incredible. But to run a 112 on that course from Sanders, it's, yeah, it's very, very impressive. What else you got going on this year? I'm going to Mont uh for the 70.3 next weekend, the 25th. And then Calgary 70.3 and uh, Boulder 70.3. And then Santa Cruz in September. 
we fo we're focusing on 70.3s to try to get a little more speed on the legs. Um, and next year we'll look at potentially doing an Ironman or two, uh, bring that back into mm -hmm. uh, the mix. But yeah, the goal is to, between the season and next, is to try to get faster in the swim and, and on the run. A lot faster on the swim and on the run and just uh, get a little stronger on the bike as well. So that's the goal. We'll see how that plays out. Is that kind of like, do you like not having a, a full Ironman this year? Yeah, it's it's mm -hmm. good. It's good. It's good not to have a six-hour bike ride followed by a 45-minute mm -hmm. run. But I, I miss Ironman, though. I miss the distance. So uh, I think I needed the break, though, after six Ironman in two years. I needed the yeah. break. You're going to be, uh, you'll distance. be ready. Are you eyeing anything for next year? Uh, Zurich is where I did my first Ironman. So it'd be kind of cool to go back there and be my first Ironman in the pro field. That could be cool. And I really enjoy the course too there. So. I hear that's a great course. Isn't, isn't the run like four loops? Yes. And they changed the, the course, the run course, and you now run a little more in the city. So mm. it'll be even more fun. And yeah. isn't 70.3 of the champs championships in France next year or they 2019 2019 so that, that will be the goal for 2019 yeah I was gonna say is that yeah. is that in the back of your mind yeah, yeah okay um, or front of your mind I guess yeah and Ironman I, the goal is to to qualify for Kona at some point as a pro that would be that would be the goal and then look at that crazy point system going on yes it's uh yeah it's a lot of racing that you have yeah. to do and uh it's a lot of points that you need to get to, to qualify for Kona, so if I can make it as a pro there, I'll I'll be pretty happy. You can do it. Yeah, you can do it. You can Absolutely. totally do it. Yeah, just That's keep the first just keep time seeing he's it. Spoken that out in the universe, so he's put it out there. Oh, he, he put it out to a pretty receptive yeah. crowd. <laughs> yeah, because just just start start visualizing it now, right? Yeah. Like let the goal be out there, but no pressure. It'll come when yeah. when the time is right. It'll come. Fingers crossed. That's what we're working towards. Yeah, at least. Yeah. And so are you still working still working with your coach, the tri coach or Yes, yes, and okay. that that won't go away. Um he so he's a man of few words. Uh he doesn't he doesn't talk much or but he listens a lot and we interact via emails and you know, seldom uh on the phone. But his workouts are very simple, but they always you know, on point. Um, when I look at what he's giving me on a given week and it looks fairly easy, but I get to the end of the week, I'm completely spent. Or some of the interval workouts that he give me, he gives me don't look that hard on paper, but in actuality, it's, it's brutal. And he's always gotten me ready, race ready for every single race that I, that I did. So yeah, he's very, very good. Very, very good. I'm adding a, a you know, swim coach into the mix for the next few months because again i i want to get as close to that chase back as possible mm -hmm. on 70.3 and if you know if i see results in, in the coming races then we'll probably continue that dynamic and for ironman next year so you mentioned something you said something earlier when you were talking about your nutrition when you were working with the core diet i trusted the outcome and I think that's a hard thing to do, but it's, it's going to be required of you, right? Like with all this stuff you have stacked up and then, you know, this dream of qualifying again for Kona as a professional now, what type of, of insight do you have for someone around 
trusting the process? Like what has been your experience that allows you to speak that and say, I'm going to trust the process? I interviewed different people and, and I also interviewed um, some of their athletes as well to try to understand, you know, how has it been working for you and do you like, what is it that you like, what is it that you don't like? Um, and that's how I ended up deciding uh, to try to work with TriCoach. What I was the same with the, the core diet. I spoke to um, Heather Jackson and her husband, Wadi Inc., quite a few times. And, you know, they kept on saying that nutrition is what made her uh, really perform well at Coeur d'Alene in 2015 and Placid last year. I, I talked to, to Jesse. Um, I reached out to him on Facebook. He said, well, give me a call. So I called him and, and I wanted to know a little more. So I talked to him. And um, I was, what he said resonated. Uh, he seemed very confident in his uh, program, very conf- uh, confident in his uh, dietitians that work, worked in the core diet. Uh, but he said, just go and talk to one of the nutritionists and see you know, what they say and just give it a shot. Trust the process, give it a shot. You know, we are QT2 systems. We're sending 37 athletes to Kona this, this year. The dietitians that we have have been working with athletes going to Kona for the past seven, eight years. They know the process. They know what needs to be done. And he said, but at the same time, you have to do what they're telling you to do. You can't just like go and, and you know, work with them, but you cannot not follow the program. Otherwise, you're just not going to get the results that you're looking for. So I spoke to the nutritionist. You know, she seemed very knowledgeable very very good at what she was doing you, you can you can sense it when you talk to people that really know what they're talking about you just can sense it right away right and so i was like all right well i have nothing to lose here and i decided to trust it and i decided to trust the process and go with it and there is not much that i could lose at that point because i had just already had two ironman in my legs i was like let's just do it let's go for it you know she she changed my nutrition completely Daily nutrition, race nutrition, training nutrition. I got, I got in your race day in the morning. I felt very rested, very good, not nervous at all. And I was just ready to go. So I was like, okay, it's, you know, you knew that you mm-hmm. were going to, you set yourself up for a good day, you know, set aside the mechanicals that you can get. But And now you've got that to to allow you to trust the process moving forward. So it seems to me that for you, it was like you did your research and then and that led you to what felt right. And that's what made you make that decision. Yeah. And, and you, you still have to do your research. Um, and, you know, sometimes yeah, you have to pay a little bit more to, you know, to get a higher quality service. But uh, if you do your research and if, if what you find, you know, makes sense, uh, what if that person charges you a little more than the other person or the, the other online program that you found? Uh, well, you, you, your research is telling you that you should go with it. So, you know, bite the bullet and, and hire that coach that you're looking for, hire that nutritionist that you're looking for. Uh, if you follow their, their program and, and their, their, their program, then, you know, there is no reason for you not to succeed in what you're looking for. So... Yeah, and I think that that's such a big thing. It's like if you're if you're hiring somebody because you you like what you've seen from the research that you've done and it feels right, like follow the plan. You're paying follow for the plan. Follow the plan. Right? Yeah. Like and that's what's going to help you really look back like 
and say, wow, I followed that from, and there's a little bit of a risk there, right? Like I'm putting now my, my sport and my performance in their hands to some degree. But if you take that chance and you trust it and you see it all the way through and you do the work, and I'm not saying it's always going to be a positive outcome. Like maybe you follow it and you're like, whoa, that wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But at least now, you know, and you've got a new you've got a new level of information in your life experience to move forward. And there's no effort that mm-hmm. is a waste. Yeah. I believe. And, and also you have to be honest with yourself. Right. The, mm-hmm. the coach is not going to make you uh, he's not going to race for you. He's going to give you the tools to race well and, and to to get to the finish and more uh but if as, as you said if you don't follow the plan it's not the coach's coach's fault right you also have to be honest with yourself and and you know uh, at some point realize that hey if, if i'm hiring a coach i also have to be you know accountable to myself and really follow what he's giving me to the t if i derive and if i do 50 or 60 percent then i shouldn't expect to qualify for Kona, for example. Uh, but if I go 100% with the right mentality, then I'm giving myself the tools to potentially succeed. It's not guaranteed, but you're putting yourself in a much better situation than if you just, instead of, you know, the coach is, is giving you a six hour ride and you go, oh, I'm just gonna do four hours. And, you know, how do you do those four hours? Just, you know, with right. my friends and, right. you know, there's, you got to be honest with yourself, and, and if you decide to go with someone, then make that decision, that commitment, but it has to be a full commitment. Triathlon is a very, very demanding sport. It just sucks the life out of you, especially if you sign up for an Ironman. It sucks the life out of you for four, five, six months, whatever that time frame is. Yeah. But what's so on the other side is, it. yeah. yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Awesome. I think it's a great place to wrap it up. Kev, thank you so much. Marissa, thank you so much for being thank here. You. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah. So how can people follow along on the adventure of uh, Instagram and Twitter, Avion Triathlete is my handle. Uh, Facebook as well. And I also have, well, she maintains my website, kevinportman.com. Portman with two N's. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. It was cool. That was great. Good. Kev Portman getting it done on the triathlon circuit and Marissa coming in as his partner in life and sport. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I know I certainly did, not only in the recording, but in the re-listening in my other role as post-production engineer, which is a true sign that we can be anything we're called to be. I mean, I'm a yogi turned audio engineer and that makes me laugh. But what I can tell you is that every week I show up to a blank screen and a microphone, and I never know what these intros and outros or blog posts are gonna look like, but I know like anything else in this world, all I have to do is right now. That's all we ever have to do is right now. And as long as I am present, as long as we are present, the words will come, our purpose will be unveiled, and our gifts will be revealed. And so don't rest so hard on the plan because a pursuit for free dinners may just end up in meeting the love of your life. Thank you everyone for supporting the show. Beege and I are off to Boulder this week to race the Boulder Peak. Super psyched that the peak is back in its fullest expression under the leadership of Lance from Without Limits Productions and Barry Siff and Jody will be on site. So we're super psyched to hook up with them as well. And of course, we're gonna record interviews. Please, could you imagine us going to Boulder and not recording? 
No way. All right, you guys. So here's the deal. Leave us a review on iTunes. Come on. Let the world know that you're enjoying the show. Let them know that you are one of these powerful, inspiring people that are going to leave an impact in the world. So start your impact at iTunes, right? Like never underestimate the power of your actions, even if they seem so small. So we're going to thank you in advance for that. I mean, I know you're busy. I've got a list of reviews that I need to write as well. I've been reading a lot of our guest books lately, and I've got to get to Amazon and leave those reviews. But let's just take a few moments and let's get them done. So if you've already left us a review, then check out the blog post for this episode and find our Amazon banner ad, which for no extra cost on your end, every time you click on that, to purchase from Amazon, we get a few pennies kicked back our way, and that's going to help keep this show alive. So also our Patreon link, where for as little as a few bucks a month, you can pledge to support the show in a way where you don't ever have to think about it again. And for me, for a busy girl, that's the best kind of support. So, all right, what else? Share the good word, you guys. Spread the high vibe. Remain awake and ready. And remember always that life is too precious for autopilot. 